pray for them. I ask the Lord to help them to be able to be successful in leading us in worship. And I'm thankful that God allows them to do that. God bless them. Amen. I'd like to look to the Word of God today to mar mark the 11th chapter. And I would like to just read the third verse at the start. And then may preach backwards a bit. But I would like to just read from Mark chapter 11, reading from the third verse. And if any man say unto you, why do, you, why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. Now, I had to make sure it was hither or thither. Hither. Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Now, there's a whole story involved around that, and we'll get to that story in just a little bit by the help of God. But I would like to, to do a little front side uh, explanation. A few weeks ago, I preached here at this church on <clears throat> where is God? <clears throat> and I asked some questions or answered the question, where is God? The first one that I answered, I said, God is in trouble. How many remember me preaching that? I mean, that's, I shouldn't have asked that because it could be very embarrassing to me if none of you raised your hand. But God is in trouble. I did not mean that God was in a dilemma himself that God didn't know what to do when something came up. It was not that kind of a deal at all. But in the middle of my trouble, God is there. So God is in trouble. And then I went and I said that God is in charge. Uh, when the people came to the Red Sea and they didn't know how to go, could not go forward, and God gave instructions to Moses, God was in charge. And when my dilemmas are tough, I'm glad to know God is in charge. And then the third thing that I said is that God is on time. On time. And it may seem like he's late in my time clock sometimes, but God is on time. And the fourth and final one that I said that night is God is in reach. And sometimes if I can't reach up high enough for him, if I'm in such a low spot, the Bible says his arm is not sharp. He's able to reach down and touch me. So God is in trouble. He's in charge. He's on time. And he's within reach. That's where God is. But, but after preaching that sermon, you know, sometimes when you have a conversation and you walk away from the conversation, you think to yourself, I wish I could have finished that conversation. You know, something interrupted. Well, that particular message, although I felt good about the message, if you can. I felt good about the response of the people and the things that God did. I, but I still was, there was one more place that God is that I wanted to talk about. And so I would like to go back to that, that sermon and tack on another point to that. So all you get tonight is just one point. So it should be quick. Quick and painless. Who's clapping? So maybe, and maybe not. So God is in trouble. God is in charge. God is on time. God is in reach. But the one I'd like to add to that tonight, God is in need. God is in need. Now, I know that I am in need. 
I need a healer. I need a savior. I need a friend that's closer than a brother. I need a counselor. I need a guide. I need somebody with answers. I am a needy person. You've heard about high maintenance people? I'm not going there. Or some people are just needy. I'm not going there either. But I just want to tell you, I need God. You're looking at a needy person. I am not hesitant at all to say I am needy. I think it would be a very proud person who would say, I do not need God. It would be a person who would be foolish in his understanding if he says, I do not need God. But I stand here today, I need God. A song that I sing occasionally, not, not as a special, but just as an old congregational song. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to Thee. I hear y'all know that song. I need Thee. Oh, I need Thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to That's an old song. It speaks the sentiment of my heart. I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. There's not a time when everything is going great and lovely that I don't need God. I need Him every hour. I'm just a creature. He's my creator. I need God. I'm lost. He's the Savior. I need God. I am sick, I need a healer, I need God. My steps are faltering, He's the stable one, I need God. There's questions in my mind about the circumstances surrounding my life, but I need somebody that has answers. I need God. Sometimes I'm confused. Oftentimes, I'm confused. But it's wonderful to be able to know there is a God that is never confused. He never knows what the next step is to take. He's, he's able to help me in the midst of my dilemmas. I need God. But I am no different from you. You need God also for the same reasons and maybe more than what I've just mentioned. You need God. It's a very established fact. We need God. But the big question is, why does God need us? 
And that's the question I would like to look at tonight. And our passage of Scripture is coming from Mark chapter 11. It's also in the book of Matthew chapter 21 as well as the other two Gospels. All four Gospels record this. Those two have some little different touches to them. But mainly today I'm going from Mark chapter 11 story. Mark chapter 11, it's the, it's the ending of the life of Jesus Christ. It's the very start of His Passion Week, that final week that involves His death and His burial and His resurrection. It's that final week, the trial. Everything bad that seemingly could happen to Jesus Christ happened in that final Passion Week. And Jesus does something that up to now He has not done. In, in one form... He, he claims and reaches for a defining moment in the eyes of his, the witnesses around to determine who he is. Now, Matthew goes back and refers to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Mark does not mention that verse, but it's there. Let me just take you from Mark chapter 11. Verse 1, I'm not going to read it, but I would just like to talk you through the story a bit. They came to Jerusalem. They was near the two cities of Bethany and Bethphage. They were there, and they were there close to the Mount of Olives. And he chose two of his disciples. We don't know which two, but he chose two of his disciples and sent them on an errand. Here is the errand. He said unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied wherein, whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. Now Matthew will tell you that there was the mother ass and then also the young colt. Mark only mentions the colt, but both were there. In those days, the the warriors, the military people rode horses. Horses were for military use, not for normal use, not even it really among the Jewish people, not even for the the royal processions. The, the judges did not ride horses in the Old Testament. They came riding on the white ones because there was a way that they presented themselves. And Jesus now, fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he comes and he tells his disciples, go to the village and bring me that, that mother and her colt, bring them to me. And he actually rode on the colt that had never been ridden by anyone before. Brother Mike, wouldn't that be a fun ride? Now, I guess Jesus could ride with the best of them. This young, unbroke colt, and Jesus is going to ride it. And so Jesus said, go and get him and bring him. But then, in all of the integrity of Jesus, no matter if he's fulfilling prophecy or not, he's not going to go around stealing somebody's animal. So he says... And if any man say unto you, Why do you do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway, he will send him hither. He'll let you have him. All you have to do is say, The Lord hath need of him. So the disciples went, and right where Jesus said, There was the mother, there was the colt. And they, the man said, Hey, why are you taking my horse or my ass off? Why are you taking him away? And he said, Well, I'm doing it because the master hath need of him. Now, the man may have been a believer. I don't know. If he was or not, doesn't really say. But he was aware in some fashion of Jesus, and he said, sure, take him. So he took him. Look at verse 4. And they went their way, 
and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways meet, and they loosed him. Certain of them that stood there said to him, What do you, loosing the colt? He said, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let him go. They brought the colt to Jesus. There was no saddle, maybe a halter to lead him with. No saddle, no, no trappings, no fanfare. The disciples took their coats off and spread them over the colt. Jesus sat on the colt, and they began leading him in what we call his, and kind of quotes around it, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the beginning of his Passion Week. Now, they didn't know it was a Passion Week. They just thought this is a triumphal entry. This is the closest he's came to declaring his kingship. Our king is getting ready to make it known to everybody. And so the people gathered around and they, they got leaves and branches and limbs and they, they waved to him and they spread their coats on the way and, and the donkey rode walked across the coats and Jesus rode. There was no trumpets blaring. It wasn't the, quite the fanfare that the, the Caesars would have gotten or, or Pilate would have gotten, but it was the fanfare of, of some disciples who were believing and some who were just along for the ride. And Jesus made his triumphal entry. Now, there's some interesting things in Scripture. And some, uh, we can make some understandable statements based on history. When Jesus was born, you remember when all the shepherds were out in the field and the, the, the angels came and told them that Jesus had been born and so they came. They were watching over sheep out in the field. Tradition, Jewish tradition, says that the shepherds who worked in that field were taking care of sheep that were destined to be slain in the temple. That was, what they, that was the kind of sheep they were caring for. They weren't caring for milk sheep who were going to be milked or sheared just for wool. But these sheep that they were watching over were destined for temple sacrifice. Now that's, a, that's interesting to me to know that to those shepherds, the Lord directed them to the lamb. I, I think that's fascinating. But in this case, another interesting thing, on the particular day, this first day of his Passover week, it was a special day in the Jewish calendar. This was the day that four or five days, I forget the number now, prior to the sacrifice, they would bring up a particular sheep. They would you know, out of all of the sheep that, was gonna, that were available for sacrifice, on this day, they selected the one that was going to be offered in that sacrifice. This was a special day. And it was on this day that Jesus comes and is separate from everyone else. He's identified in some ways. And it happened, the timing is amazing to me. Jesus said, I have need of him. I think it's fascinating to me, the whole story. Verse 6, uh, excuse me, verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him. He sat on him. Many spread their garments. Verse 9, they went before. Some of them followed. They cried saying, Hosanna, blessed is, the, is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He, he was in his triumphal entry. But in doing so, he asked for them to go and get a colt because I have need of him. You want to know where Jesus is? He is in need. 
Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I don't want you to think me too uh, sacrilegious. The gospel is an invalid. It has no legs. It has no arms. It has no voice. And please don't think me sacrilegious to say that. But in order for the gospel to spread, somebody's got to carry the gospel. Just as Jesus couldn't make his triumphal entry for him to walk down the street, that would not have fulfilled Zechariah 9 and 9. So instead he needed someone to, or some animal to carry Jesus Christ through it. Jesus Christ is as close to the gospel as you can get. Because the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the personification of the gospel. And in this illustration, there had to be something to carry the gospel. But he needs someone now to carry the gospel. God depends on us to carry the gospel. I want to briefly look at three stories in the New Testament, all in the book of Acts, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Stories are... Back to back, you can flip in your Bibles and find it very quickly. Acts chapter 8, it's an interesting story. There was a great revival going on, and yet God tapped Philip on the shoulder and said, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. And Philip was in a great revival, but he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do, and so he headed for the desert. And when he got out into the desert in the most unlikely place, here comes an Ethiopian eunuch, on a chariot, heading from Jerusalem. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's going back to Ethiopia. He's a secretary, treasurer of the whole nation. He's, he, he's the one that controls all of the queen's monies. Very important position. But he was a Jewish by worship. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. Now he's returning. And he's reading in the book of Isaiah. And Philip joins himself and asks him, what you reading? And he says, well, I'm reading from Isaiah. Not going to the whole story. It's a fun story. It's a great story. The scripture he was reading, it's an enlightening story. But he read in the story. The Ethiopian eunuch said, here's water. Let's get baptized. Let me get baptized right here. In the middle of the desert. You don't usually have water in the desert, but there was. And some said, well, that's, you don't have to be immersed in water because in the desert, surely there was just a little bit of water. But the Bible says they both went down into the water. So obviously there was enough water for, for both of them. So we can assume, with a healthy assumption, that they were immersed. You know, what if Philip would have said no? God said, Philip, I need you to go to the desert. He didn't fully know why, but when it all transpired, he understood why. And the Ethiopian unit went his way rejoicing, and Philip was caught up and carried to another place to continue his ministry. But if Philip would have said no, the story would have read differently. What would have happened in Ethiopia? Did he carry the gospel back to Ethiopia? Who knows? But there comes a time in everyone, every believer's life when God taps him on the shoulder and said, I need you. And what happens if we say no? That's a negative question. But what happens if we say yes? Who knows? Who knows what happens if we say yes? But the next one, chapter 9, book of Acts. This is a story of the Apostle Paul. At this point in the story, he's called Saul. He's a murderer. He's killed people. He's killed Christians. And he's got a letter to take, and now he's going to kill a bunch more. He's going to haul them off to prison. 
He's a bad guy. And on his road, he's, he gets struck by the power of God. The light blinds him. He can see no man. And a voice speaks to him. And he says, Lord, who art thou? And the voice speaks back to him and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. What a great identifying conversation to tell who God is. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But then God tells Saul to do something. And if, if you will, if in your Bibles you would flip to, and I'm going to flip there too. It's in the book of Acts chapter 9. Excuse me. Just one moment. Why do they have Bible pages so skinny? Have you ever wondered that? Bible pages so flimsy. It's so your Bible won't be as thick for one reason. Okay, chapter 9. Paul say, or Saul says, Who art thou, Lord? Verse 6. Lord said unto him, Arise, go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Verse 8. Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him unto Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. Now, God told Saul to go to this particular place. Saul heads there. He's blind. He can't see now because of that bright light. And people lead him there. He gets there, and he's there for three days. He didn't eat, didn't drink. He fasted. But verse 10 says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. What a great response. How many of you have ever seen a vision of God? Not too many, if any. But this man, this believer, saw a vision of God. And the vision that God gave him said, Ananias, just his name. And he said, Lord, I'm here. Quickly. Now, if what if the Lord appeared to you? I don't know what he would call you. Brother Pierman? I don't know what he would call you. Keith? Friend? But what if he called you by name? What would your response be? If you never had heard that before, never experienced it before, and we don't know that Ananias had ever experienced it before. We don't have any Bible to say that this was a frequent thing. But he said, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said, I want you to go to the street called Straight. There's a guy there, Saul, and I want you to go and preach the gospel to him. Saul, the one that's killing Christians, I don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm going to avoid that. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he's done. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hands on Saul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now this is, this is what happened because a man said, I will go. The Lord is in need. His gospel is an invalid. Needs somebody to carry it. And when he called somebody by name and said, Ananias, I want you to go. And Ananias, he discussed a little bit. And then he said, okay, I'll go. And he went. What if he would not have gone? What a tragedy. Saul was expecting him. The Lord had told Saul, I want you to go to a street called Straight. And there somebody will tell you what you need to do. Saul was expecting someone to come there. Saul was expecting that. In fact, Saul was 
anticipating him coming. And he did. Now, that's the second story. Third story I want to tell you, very, very quickly story, quick story. It's in the very next chapter. It's in Acts chapter 10. There's an Italian man, Cornelius by name. He's a soldier. He's a, a good soldier. He's advanced through the ranks. He's a centurion. And he is praying. And it's about the ninth hour. And he's been praying. He's been fasting. He's a good man. He gives alms. He, he helps the, the people. He, he does good work for the, for the Jews around there. Uh, he, he, he's a good man. He prays often, gives alms. A good man. And he's praying to God. And God appears to him and says some things to him. This is chapter 10. He saw in a vision. This is chapter 10, verse 3, ninth hour of the day. God, angel of God come to him, saying, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer? How many of you have ever given an alm? You want to know what an alm is? It's an offering. It's a help to someone else. You've given alms. You've given, you've prayed prayers. This case says, the Lord told him, your prayers have come up before me. I've heard your prayers. But it wasn't just to answer his prayer. He had some instructions. When he looked on him, what is it? Prayers and alms come before me. Verse 5, God instructed him, Now send men to Joppa. Call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose home is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now that's pretty specific. But he's telling this not to a believer in Jesus Christ. He's, God is telling this to some stranger out there. Someone who's not a Jew by birth. He's an Italian. Nothing wrong with Italians. But he was an Italian soldier. He was part of the ruling Roman army that was, that was holding the Jewish people in bondage, really. He wasn't the greatest friend of theirs. And yet he, he did pray, did give alms. And God spoke to this man and said, I want you to send to a man by the name of Simon, uh, of Peter. And he's lodging at a tanner's house on the seaside. I want you to go there and... and See what will happen. So this is verse 7. The angel which spoke unto Cornelius and departed. So he called two of his household servants and a devoted soldier, devout soldier of them. And he declared all that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. So the next morning they got up and they headed out, heading for Joppa. Where the house of the tanner was. Now in the meantime... Something happens. You know, God doesn't always just work on one side of the equation. If God is moving on you to go witness to someone, in all likelihood, He's moving on that person to receive your witness. And sometimes He's moved on that person before He moved on you. Now, in the last two illustrations I gave you, these two, one... The heathen was first and the other and the heathen was second. So it doesn't always happen that God speaks to the heathen first or the needy first, but it varies. So God spoke then to the man named Peter 
was he was on the housetop. God had put him in a vision, and a sheet came down from heaven, came down three different times. And in that sheet was all kind of animals, clean animals, unclean animals. That doesn't just mean some were washed and some were not washed, but in the Jewish way of life, clean and unclean. Some they could touch, some was they could not touch. Some they could eat, some they could not eat. They had rules and regulations on what they could eat. And so he saw there was clean and unclean animals in here. And, and the Lord said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter was horrified that the Lord would even suggest that to him, a good Jew. He said, God, I've never eaten anything unclean. <laughs> no, not me. So the sheep went back up. Came down a second time. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. No, not me. I don't eat this unclean stuff. I'm a good Jew. Goes back up. And then God sends it back down a third time. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. No, not me. And then God teaches him a little lesson. What I have called clean, don't you call unclean. Okay. Now, he wasn't putting two and two together yet. He didn't have enough information to know what was going to happen next. But then God wasn't through with that. God was going to carry it on a little bit. Verse 17, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate, the gate that was outside the house. These men that, that, that Cornelius had sent were there at that point. What perfect timing. God sent them to travel a ways to get there, and they got there right as God told Peter, what I call clean, don't you call unclean. Timing was perfect. And so they called and they asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. And while Peter was on the housetop thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Arise, uh, said unto them, Behold, three men seek thee, and there, arise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, I, I just I, I take some time tonight to read part of the story, to tell part of the story. I want you to see that when God needs a person to carry the gospel, He works all the way around. But if Cornelius would have refused to send somebody to Joppa, a tanner, I don't want anything to do with a tanner. Anybody know what a tanner does? He tans hide. Don't you think that's a wonderful smelling occupation? You know where you get hides? From dead animals. You know how you keep dead animals from stinking? You put them in your freezer. He didn't have one. They didn't have one. But he was a tanner. Wasn't the most pleasant environment. I can't imagine Peter wanting to take a seaside resort vacation at a house of a tanner, but he did. But Cornelius was willing because an angel had appeared to him. And he obeys the angel. He sends them in. And in the meantime, God is dealing with Peter because Peter is having to make a pretty good jump across the barrier between Judaism and the Gentiles. He didn't know if he could make that leap across there. But God finally convinced him, what I, what I have made clean, don't call unclean. And so Peter then, when, when God said, three men are knocking, go with them, don't worry. Whenever he... Went down there, sure enough, at the gate were three men, just like God had told him. And so he follows the instructions of God. He goes with these men. They head out. They go to Cornelius' house. Peter preaches to Cornelius. It's Cornelius and his whole household. They get the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's a great chapter. And then as 
What doth hinder them to be baptized? Let's baptize them. So they baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. So in that one chapter, chapter 10, there's a very clear definition of how people receive the Holy Ghost and how people were baptized. Very clear definition, all in one chapter. It's a great chapter. But my question is, and my, my, the question I address to you today is when God taps you on the shoulder, don't ever underestimate God. He's probably tapping someone else on the shoulder too. I wish time would allow me to take a little testimony service right now. How many times have you witnessed to someone and you didn't hardly have three words out of your mouth and they started crying, said, I've been praying that someone would come and talk to me today. I've heard it over and over and over. You talk to somebody and, and you realize this is not a, a, just a happenstance. This is not just a, oh, it just happened to happen. You know, No, this is God-ordained. But those God-ordained moments would happen more if we were more attuned to God speaking to us. Now, I've read to you three, talked through three different illustrations where God tapped a man on the shoulder and asked him to carry the gospel. One time it was to carry it to a murderer. That was a risky endeavor. One was to carry the gospel from the from a person who is a Jew to a group of people who is Gentile, and that has never happened in all of churchdom at that point. It was the first time that Gentiles would be included in the gospel message. And what a, what a, a huge step for Peter. All of these were, were kind of complicated situations, but when God addressed the believer, he was also dealing with the unbeliever. And sometimes we're hesitant to step out and do what we really feel God nudging us to do because we're, we think, what will they say? What will they think? How will they respond? When in reality, God is working on behalf of those other people just as well and preparing them for your visit to them. We have two uh, son, and, son and daughter of missionaries here today. We're glad to have them here, Roche and Jared. Glad that you're a part of this church. I don't know if you've heard of the green light theory or green light philosophy for foreign missions. It's been a part of the foreign missions philosophy for many years. Brother Judd, all those many years ago, Brother Edmund Judd preached the green light theory for missions very adamantly. He believed it. And after talking to him, I believe it too. And the green light theory is that you go until... God stops you. Now, the red light theory is you just stop until God sends you. But his reasoning, Brother Judd's reasoning, is that the Great Commission is a generalized commission telling us to go. So it's not a question of whether we should go or not. We just should go. How many of you drive? You have driver's license. How many of you uh, are good drivers? Nearly the same hands. <laughs> yeah. How many of you wish you were drivers? You know, there's one thing about driving you cannot do. You cannot steer a parked car. Can't do it. You can only steer a moving 
car. And when you live with the red light principle, I'm not going until he says go. He's already said go. So you go and you're seeking the will of God. You're seeking the direction of God. And God is able to steer you as you walk in his will. The Bible says the steps of a good man are order of the Lord. It does not say the stops of a good man are order of the Lord. Although sometimes they could be. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. There is a go. And then in Matthew 28, 19, companion passage, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go. There's a go in the in the message that Jesus brings to us. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. But Jesus needs me. Where is Jesus? Where is God? He is in need. God needs me. He needs me to go where? He needs me to go when? He needs me to go to whom? Those are questions that I haven't had answered directly for all times. But he needs me to go. And I know this is a little different message for a Sunday night. But I want to offer it as a challenge to us. Where is God? He's in trouble. He's in charge. But he's also in need. And he needs us. As we stand tonight... There comes a time, and several times perhaps, in every believer's life when God will tap you on the shoulder, needing you to do something for Him. There's some people that you can touch that I cannot touch. There's people that I've worked with. There's family members that I have dealt with. And and I've prayed, God, they're kind of out of my reach right now. But can you put them in the reach of some other believer? Could you speak to some other believer? Who knows what people God moves into your job arena, into your circle of influence, and God is tapping you on the shoulder, wanting you to take that step of faith and express a gospel message to them in some fashion. Show them, share with them the hope of Jesus Christ. But at the same time that God is dealing with you, in all likelihood, He's touching that person on the shoulder and inviting them, preparing them, getting them ready for you to come to them. They may be seeing you and seeing something different about you and wanting to talk to you. And and y'all meet up in the break room and, and the timing is perfect. And you take advantage of that time. And they take advantage of that time. And and God's work. It's a God moment. It's a God thing. I think we need to understand that we need Him. But we also need to understand that He needs us. He's not helpless. Not at all. He's our helper. And if we don't do it, if we don't praise Him, He said the stones will cry out. So there is, there are ways that He can 
override our neglect and our negligence, but I don't want that to happen. I want to be a part of revival. What God is doing in our community among this group of believers, I want to be a vibrant part of it because when God taps me on the shoulder, whether it's a vision or night or a little impulse impression, I want to do what God directs me to do because I know that He's preparing someone on the other side just as well, just as well. That's the, that's the wonderful thing of it. God is real. Hallelujah. I'd like for us to bow our heads and I'd like for us to just take a moment and ask God to speak to us. Not necessarily to give us the name of somebody that we ought to witness to tomorrow, but just, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me and let me get, have an awareness that you want to use me somewhere, sometime. And Lord, start preparing me for that time. Lord Jesus, I pray right now as one of these believers and yet praying for all of these believers, God, I pray that you would minister to us. God, you see our, you see our abilities. You know what we can do. You see our personality.